Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. I'm very excited about today's episode, Janine, I will be perfectly honest with you. Not only because it's episode 254, and really that's a very random number, so why would I be excited about that? It's a high number. Yes. It's a high number, but it's a very random number. Um... But it's because of the movie we're talking about today. And maybe not even the singular movie, but the era, the time, the the, the great little few years that this movie sits in and that this movie sits in for its own genre is an era I love, a time I love, a genre I love. And I'm very excited to get into it today because we're talking about 1942's This Gun for Hire, a formative noir movie, and obviously I'm a big noir fan. I feel like we often do noir movies on yes. this show, but I mean, would do you? We? Say, I mean, I think or, we do, but you tend just, to. I watch them. You just watch a bunch on time. your own. Yes. Yeah, so, would you say noir is your favorite? classic subgenre because you've been all about like last year you were kind of all about the noirs <laughs> I, I i will be honest with you i think it really has become that i wouldn't mind actually spending a bit of time on today's show maybe having a little bit of a discussion on to why that may be and why it may have yeah. become my favorite uh old hollywood genre because i really think it has i think it it, it fits in Everything I love about a lot of other genres from that time, I think they all merge into this one. And it's often I find the most stylistically inventive and kind of interesting filmmaking-wise, creative-wise, I often find um, a lot of them. Because a lot of a lot of you kind of romance melodramas or yeah. even even musicals, even old horror movies, they're all very kind of, you know what you're getting. And I suppose to and look to an extent, you know what you're getting in noir movies, but there's, I think, a lot of freedom to be very, very expressive. I think it's the most expressionist genre within old Hollywood. Yeah. Not speaking, obviously, about actual expressionist movie movements like the Germans in the 20s. But it it takes so much of what that was, you know, your your Dr. Caligari's, your things like that, that that was massive in German movies in the 20s. It, it takes all that influence and brings it into Hollywood. And obviously a lot of the big noir directors, a lot of the big noir filmmakers, Fritz Lang, Robert C. Odmack, were European, were German, Austrian things like that so a lot yeah. billy wilder even was austrian so a lot of those elements kind of seep in from europe seep in from upbringing and become more hollywood become more glitzy more glamorous while at hollywood but still hold those very creative very expressionist kind of uh, styles underneath. I think that's a big reason why. And I know I've oh, just yeah. started the show by explaining <laughs> that now. Yes. But I do think that's why. Yeah, I mean, noirs have a great style, and they, while they do all kind of have a similar base formula, I think any genre or subgenre does, um, in, in the noirs I've seen at least, especially from this time, I find that while they all do kind of have the same elements in them they always yeah. find like a unique way to put them together they really do they always really do even even the even the b noirs you know even yeah. the more formulate ones of which i suppose we have covered a couple of of somewhat smaller noirs probably on on this show um they do they do tend to end similarly usually yeah. with the law kind of winning in the end or and or everybody dying um but sometimes they don't you know sometimes yeah. they do end very darkly and i think well, it's the one, one genre that's almost allowed 
or, or was that. allowed by the censors to go quite dark because well because because yeah you do it's morality end up, yes and you do end up seeing your quote-unquote bad guy you know getting it in the end so um we're punishing our person for the their bad deeds by the end um but i think this one you know once we get into it does have a bit of a unique thing um that i mentioned that they all kind of do have the same types of things in it your femme fatales and your um anti-heroes and your uh you know rough and tumble cops and all of these types of things um but this does have some unique elements that i think um definitely make it stand out so we will get into that when we start our discussion but yes i think think it i think it really does it's even more impressive than it does given the fact that it's such an early noir it's a noir before the term film noir was coined yeah so you know they're early noirs you know the formative movies that will go on to influence all those somewhat formulate movies in the early 50s yes that you kind of got one after the other and they were all a very very similar style a lot of them great a lot of them great but it's movies like this gun for hire that we're talking about today that it's you know got to thank that all those movies has to thank but yes go ahead we do have to do something before we start what is that we have to say a huge thank you to our It's a Wonderful Podcast patrons. Each week on one of our shows, we give a huge shout out to all of our wonderful It's a Wonderful Podcast patrons to thank them for all of their support. We certainly do. We can't do what we do without this generous support. And we love them all dearly. If you would like to join them on Patreon and join us on Patreon or donate in any such way, there are links in the description of this episode um or go to patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one find the tier that is right for you and uh yes support us over there if uh, that is something you are interested in let's start by saying a big thank you to marie zambino thank you adam witt thank you to michael smith thank you maxwell haddad thank you amber coates thank you abby friel thank you to faris muthana Thank you to 90s Comics Box, a.k.a. my big brother, Justin. Thank you, Video Drew. Thank you, Tina Farrow. Thank you to Marcus Burton. Thank you to Movie Fanobi Steve. Thank you, Samir Tezfai. Thank you, Patrick Harden. Thank you, Carla Peace. Thank you to the great Ken Napsok. Thank you to Tom and Kimber of the Odd Shape Channel. Thank you, Eric Garcia. And thank you to Billy Pollahan. Yes. Applause for the patrons. Applause for the movie. Janine, I um I do feel like we do talk a lot of a lot of noir movies on the show, but I, I have just done a quick look back at the recent um recent shows, maybe you know, this show this year's shows yeah. on, on the main show. And um, it, it's not that many. It's not as many okay. as I thought it was. Yeah, so it's just you watching a bunch of them on your own time. <laughs> I do, though. Whenever I feel like I just want to watch an old movie, which is is most nights, admittedly. It, it is most nights. Because I seem to own so many noirs <laughs> now. Because my kind of fondness for this genre came in with my re-emergence of collecting Blu-rays. And so I just went, okay... Let's get all the noirs. Yeah. Bash, 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 bash. Let's have them all. And so it's just like, okay, I want to watch a nice Blu-ray. And like 85% of the ones I've got are just a, a noirish, you know. And if they're not noirish, they're kind of like weird horror. And yeah. sometimes you're not in the mood for weird horror. Like it's March, you know, weird horror comes. <laughs> slightly towards the autumn tends yeah. to in, in my mentality um, but then also people say that after you know the horror season's over in October that's when noir season starts in noir November so who knows yeah. I never feel like watching noir movies in November to be honest with you that's kind of like <laughs> dregs of horror and start of Christmas movies Yes, but I mean, I think they're good to watch anytime. So, 
Oh, they really are. They really are. But I think this is a great one. I really do think this is a great one. I think it's strangely for being such a formative movie and for having all those elements in there, um, minus really the femme fatale. I don't think you could necessarily call Veronica like a femme fatale in no. this movie because she's not evil. No. She's not manipulative. She doesn't have an agenda. She doesn't have um, ulterior motives. She's, she's not certainly... out to to use her feminine wiles to get something out of somebody. No, no. Um, she's certainly very sultry. Yes. She's certainly very alluring. And smart. Um, but And very, very smart. I think she's got a wonderful persona in this movie. Um, we've very rarely spoken about Veronica Lake on this show. I can only remember bringing her up once before. Yes, in the movie one i married movie. a witch yes when we were doing witch movies one october um but yeah i mean this is just one of the uh other unique elements that i talked about having your kind of formula in a noir but doing different things to to distinguish itself and having uh our female character not be that kind of deceptive and fatale and being um you know her role in this film her relationship with kind of our lead person uh, is very interesting um, and very unique uh, in it terms is of because... what we would normally get in a noir. So the, I really love that about this movie that we're not kind of seeing the the same, you know, cut and dry archetypes that you would typically yeah. see in this movie. I mean, obviously femme fatales are very, very interesting characters anyway. Yeah. Cause I think, I think they come in kind of one of two major ways. They either come in the way of Barbara Stanwyck in Double Indemnity, where it's just clearly you're the evil one and you're bringing your usually male protagonist kind of into your world of let's kill him kind yeah. of situation, which is almost exactly what happens in Double Indemnity, really, isn't it? Yes, okay, it's all subtext and all kind of done with the eyes, but Fred McMurray is enamored by Barbara Samwick right from the word go yes, and he's just willing to do anything because he's just yes. a soft guy <laughs> who's just easily, easily seduced yes and uh yeah and, simped out now <laughs> and this is why I, this is why I also I argue against uh, I argue against noir being in any way negative towards women because if it was negative, I think if it's, it was negative towards women, it would stand its protagonist men up as as upstanding people. And it never does that. Yes. I mean, noirs are full of gray. There's no real hero to follow. The, your characters can have things that you sympathize with, that you empathize with, that maybe endear you to them to a degree. But there's still gray in them. And there's never anything there that's making you like not understand that they are um a flawed person like you completely get yeah. that so yeah I, I i like that you know these movies are very gray in terms of characterizations i do think it's the it's, it's the the older genre as well that almost almost presents women as as the most powerful and i mean like psychologically powerful because noir is full of easily manipulative guys it's full <laughs> of just the 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 most weak-willed men you've ever seen in your yeah. entire life <laughs> and it's not always the case that who you consider a femme fatale is manipulative it's just that usually the 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 leading man is easily manipulated, manipulated. yeah mm -hmm. um i think of I, I mean i just watched a movie last night actually as of as of this recording uh which fritz lang's the woman in the window from 1944 which is a great companion to the movie that came, I think, the year after, which is Scarlet Street, with Edward G. Robinson and Joan Bennett. They both star Edward G. Robinson and, and Joan Bennett. And basically, 
in both movies there, Joan Bennett, you could consider a femme fatale, but certainly more in, in, in Scarlet Street, certainly more in Scarlet Street, really. Um, but Edward G. Robinson is the most weak-willed man possible in those two movies. He's a soppy, middle-aged, love-struck fool yeah. in, the, in both of those movies who gets himself into murderous situations because of his infatuation. Yeah. This is the exact same in Double Indemnity. Now, this is not the case in This Gun for Hire, but this is something I, I just wanted to bring that up in the sense of, you know, femme fatales don't always have to be horrible women. They just have to be <laughs> someone that weak men meet. Yeah. You know, um, it's why I also find a movie like Gilda very, very interesting because somehow everybody thinks Gilda, Rita Hayworth as Gilda, is a a very typical femme fatale and she's she's anything but. She's yeah. arguably the the victim of that entire movie. That movie has a, a very, very evil male villain. Yeah. Um and really it's just kind of everybody. Just because you're pretty doesn't mean doesn't mean <laughs> You're evil, you know. Yeah. Yes. This is this is not the mentality we should have. And no, Veronica Lake in this movie is is not a fatale, but she embodies the sultriness, the alluring kind of nature of this genre's women. I think very very well, while having this really unique personality in this movie, where she's kind of. I mean, I was watching it thinking she's kind of got Mitchum eyes. And I mean that in the sense of droopy, kind of almost lazy side eye, where everything <laughs> that any other character she's interacting with just slightly confuses her as to why they're doing that. Yeah, and I can see that. But she's always, she's always intrigued. But she seems to come across in this movie like... Okay then, I'll follow you. Sure. Yeah, you know, just kind of going along that. with it. Yeah. <laughs> she goes with the flow, but has yeah. so much self-assuredness, so much kind of belief in herself. She's never seemingly out of control. Yeah, I, I definitely I think like that's that quite similar her. to Mitchum, really. Yes, he never seems like he's he's just uh, you know treading water, waiting for someone to help him figure out whatever's happening. Um, no, and you never feel he's... that with her. While even if she's in these situations where she's seemingly the damsel in distress, like you don't feel that. You feel her, she's very much in control. She's very much you know has a way to figure her way out of a situation. Um, but going along in a way that shows that she she knows like i i need to just go along with this until i can find the window to get out of it yeah yeah I, and that's what i mean it's self-assuredness it's knowledge of what you're doing while seeming very kind of casual about yeah. everything i think i think she's she did a great job at, at portraying that i think it was a very very unique um, you know, performance style for this kind of movie. And it's strange that this movie feels so fresh. It feels so different to a lot of noir movies, given the fact it's such an early one. Yeah. You would expect it to feel very, okay, there's that that became that in later movies, and there's yeah. that that became that. But it's not. I mean, we're dealing, our protagonist here really is Alan Ladd, who's a hired killer. He's an assassin. There's not many of these movies where such a an obvious criminal is our lead. Yes, okay, we get thieves. You can have you can have organized crime involved. But I think a lot of the time it's every man who get drawn in to those worlds. Situations, it's, yeah. I've, I've just spoken about, you know, Edward G. Robinson in, in those two movies. 
who is a complete everyman, a, a, a you, you know, typical middle-aged kind of nobody almost, who gets drawn in to murder through seeming, I mean, I, I say through no fault of his own, but it's not through any, it, it, it is entirely his fault, it's because he's got no willpower at all. But that's often the case, that is often the case, it's somebody who gets easily manipulated, easily, you know, wrapped up, uh, in, easily in wrapped up. Yeah. And whether whether that's murder, whether that's organized crime, whatever it may be, you know, some sort of drug ring, it can be anything. Um, but it's not too often that you get immediately a criminal and immediately such a confident kind of criminal that we get in Alan Ladd playing Philip Raven in this movie, who is is an assassin. I can think of really one other noir movie that I've seen where a, off the top of my head, where an actual assassin is our lead, and that's Murder by Contract. Okay. Which I want to say is, a, is, a, is late 50s, so it's quite late in the noir, in the main noir cycle. Now, that movie couldn't be further from this movie. It's a very, very... I mean, it's a very, it's a late noir movie, so it's very, it's almost more seventies in style than it is forties. Yeah, um, it's almost taxi driver esque at times. But even like the um, assassin as kind of our protagonist feels like a more uh, modern type of story it, take. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's not you know, a hard-boiled detective, or it's not an everyman who gets caught up in something that so many noir movies are. They're, they're, they're often about lawmen. And this movie, yes, okay, has a has a, a police officer as our kind of third lead, I suppose, our, our, our supporting lead. Yeah. Who is, Veron you know, Veronica Lake's uh, fiancé. Yeah, actually, um, so you're always going to have the the law element in there, the police element to the detective element to noir movies. Of course, you are. I don't think they ne they never seem to feel like noir movies if they don't have some sort of detective investigation in them. Yes, of course. But when our lead is the criminal and the criminal who wants to be a criminal. It's always more interesting. And it's not just the kind of he's just a petty thief, even, or something like that. No, now, I like those trained, movies. Yes, but he's, he's a trained, a trained killer. killer. Yes. And so, and even the fact that we're still able to find moments of um, wanting good for him is a yeah, testament we really think, like to, to Alan Ladd's performance, which I had never seen him in anything. I don't think I even had heard his name before. So, um, if I mean, if you've not necessarily heard, this is a good discovery, then, isn't it? Because yes. if you've not heard of him, you've you'll have heard of Shane, the movie, the Western. Yes. Shane. Mm -hmm. That's kind of supposedly the peak of his entire okay. career, um, and the ending of Shane, and you know that little boy shouting, "Shane, come yeah. back!" Mm -hmm. That that's yes. Alan Ladd's is Shane. Okay. 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 But. Him and Veronica Lake made four movies. Three of them were noirs, all within six years of each other. Well, I mean, I Two can see them. why they have really great chemistry in this movie, and like they're not even kind of pitched as like a couple or no. uh, an entanglement, a, a love, a romantic entanglement. It's literally just circumstances bringing them together and them really forming this kind of friendship and support of each other so yeah um, there's not really any romance yeah. in this yeah. movie um which might be unusual when you have two admittedly rather pretty leads yeah <laughs> that we have here but there's not really romance in this movie but yeah they, they made three noirs together i think those three noirs came within two years 
And then there was another movie a, a few years later that wasn't wasn't a noir movie, but it was this movie. It was the Glass Key that came out the same year, came out nineteen forty two, and then was it the Blue Dahlia that came out a couple of years later? I think it was the Blue Dahlia. Um, but they were. I mean, this is introducing Alan Ladd. This is what this is the credit he's given in this movie. This is kind of his first star-making role. Yeah. Um, and apparently, he, him, and Veronica Lake were given the glass key before this movie was even released because they just kind of loved what they were doing. Yeah. So that's why they they ended up kind of two in the same year, being okay. both you know noir movies. Um, but I really do think he he shines in this movie. And it's yes. because he, you know, we can have hired killer protagonists that we don't like. We're used to this kind of thing. You know, this has become more of a, a modern movie thing. Very, very harsh, evil protagonists who we're interested in more than we like. Yeah. You know, that is what people would consider the anti-hero, which is why I think this movie is so very formative in that realm, because here we have essentially what would become more of a dark anti-hero protagonist, but we really do endear ourselves towards him. Yes. He's a, he's a very likable man, and I think it's because he's very confident. He's also, it helps because the story does double-cross him. Yes, we, we I mean, we liked. do, we see him get backstabbed by just pretty icky people in general. So we don't, yeah. because he gets betrayed by people that this movie makes us dislike very much. We're kind of already a little bit on his side. So, I mean, the the lead of the icky people, shall we say, <laughs> I, d I don't like very much. He is, I think that the, the head figure, the figurehead is perhaps the oldest looking man I've ever seen in a movie, <laughs> this side of the High Llama in Lost Horizon. Oh, yeah. Who I think oh. is the oldest person I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> and I don't just mean, like, somebody who was 100 years old. I mean, makeup and just everything about Sam Jaff as the High Llama in Lost Horizon just screams a thousand-year-old man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the, Tully Marshall in this movie, who plays our Mr. Brewster, the, the wheelchair-bound, yeah. cynical, old kind of manipulator, just looks like a skeleton. He looks so <laughs> old. You know, he's got his kind of men waiting on him. Yeah. And, you know, his every, his every whim is spoken to his every whim is is fulfilled and he's just kind of he's this horrible thing he's, he's mr potter from it's a wonderful life yeah if he was more evil somehow <laughs> and it's it's really strange but the plot that we're dealing with here is i suppose typical of noir it's kind of a little bit confusing and we're never really sure who to trust and what's going on and where the next turn is going to take. Yeah. But Alan Ladd is hired, or, or Philip Raven, I suppose, is the character, is hired to kill someone by um, a, a very large, portly gentleman um, who was played by Laird Krieger, which is a great name, who, has a, who actually has a good moustache in this movie. Do I oh. put him into the moustache hall of fame? You put but to be terrible, fair... His terrible evil moustache. Into... I mean, he's almost our weak-willed character in this movie, because he's yeah. completely... He's kind I mean, of a he's coward, this, yeah. He's a ridiculous coward. He's this huge, hulking figure. You know, he, he looks... He's massive. He's tall yeah. and he's big. But he's getting shoved around by... The dear sweet old skeleton in the wheelchair. <laughs> and his brain he's getting shoved around by. Yeah. Just because, you know, of this secret chemical formula that is ridiculously valuable. 
Um, now, this is what Philip Raven was hired to kill this this particular chemist to retrieve. Um, there was a there was a woman with the chemist as well, which I found hilarious. By the way, there was a newspaper headline in this movie right at the beginning after this first assassination that just read. I felt that it, it, it made me laugh. I don't know why it made me laugh. It just said, chemist and woman murdered. <laughs> Who was the woman? Just a woman? Just some random you know, woman. Yeah. Not, not man and woman. Not couple. Chemist and woman. And woman. Yeah. <laughs> I found that funny. I don't know why I found that funny. Um, but that that's who Alan Ladd is hired to kill at the beginning, at the beginning of the movie. He's hired yeah. to kill at the beginning. But he's paid in marked cash. Marked yes. bills. By and our terrible mustache by, person. <laughs> yes, by, by Laird Krieger, whom, whom, whom I'm, I might put in. I might retroactive. Let's applaud him for being in the mustache yes, okay. now. <laughs> because I did like his mustache, although Robert Preston playing our cop has a good mustache yeah, as mustache well. Too. Maybe they both go. Let's applaud them, and I will confirm at a later date if they are in the mustache of okay. fame or not. Okay. Um, I'd almost rather put Robert Preston in because at least he's a good person. Yes, he's a good guy. In this movie. Um, but yes, so he's you know Alan Ladd's double crossed. He's paid in marked bills, um, because they kind of that they, they're afraid of him. Basically, they're they're afraid of Alan Ladd. They 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 want him to do what they need him for, and then they don't want to see him ever again. Yeah. Seemingly, we're never really told anything. It's all very, you know, beyond the text that we see. It's all very yes. They kind of background. give us the, the base the basic information that we need to follow the story. But is this not something that is? so typical of what would become noir movies yes you 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 end up a little bit unsure of what's going on but you know nobody can be trusted basically yes. you have your kind of macguffin thing that drives the story but um it's really just to kind of show get our characters where we need them to be throughout the story and yeah and have them have the interactions that they have and 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 show whatever the betrayal is uh because it's due to this macguffin type situation thing yeah <laughs> and i don't think that's i don't think that's <laughs> actually ever played better than in arguably the most formative noir movie which is often considered the very start of the entire cycle which is the maltese falcon Yes. I don't think it's played any better ever than in that. Because what is the Maltese Falcon? What is it? it it's an ornament. Why is yeah, it so right? important? We, do we even do we, know? Do we, do we ever find out? We don't know why it's so important. Yeah. We never know why it's so important. We just know that everybody wants it. Yeah. Why does everybody want it? We don't know. We're never told. It's yeah. not important. What is important is that everybody does want it and they all go... Oh, well, I'm going to twist you and twist you and twist you. And then Peter Laurie comes in and struts about a bit with his cane. Say, I want it instead. Yeah. And Bogart's just going, I mean, the end of that movie. What You know, what is it? It's the stuff that dreams are made of. Made of That's yeah. all you need. That's all you need to know. Yeah. That's all you need to know. So we're kind of dealing with a similar situation, although we at least get told I suppose, why this chemical formula is so valuable by the end of the movie. Um, and it's so valuable, basically, because our nice evil skeleton man wants <laughs> to sell it to... Now, remember, this is 1942. He wants to sell it to the Japanese. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it, it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous chemical formula, let's just say that. So... It's probably not the best idea for him yeah, to do as an American person in 1942, <laughs> really, is it? <laughs> which is, uh, which is ultimately kind of what you know, what what Alan Ladd and Veronica Lake find out. But how Veronica Lake comes into this movie is seemingly through chance because yeah. she is a a kind of stage performer. performer she's a magician 
she sings, she does magic as part of her act, and she's very charismatic. And she's also engaged to the cop who is now on the case of these two murders and yes. and the so search here's for all this your, man. Yeah. Here's all your character entanglement. Alan Ladd's our hired killer. Robert Preston is our police officer uh, attached to the case of of you the know, killings and trying to find Alan and, and trying to find Alan Ladd because there were yeah. eyewitnesses and people who saw him so they know it's him. Alan Ladd gets hired and double-crossed by big hulking Laird Krieger mustache man who then hires Veronica Lake to be in his nightclub yes. and Veronica Lake is, is engaged to be married to the policeman. It's all an intermingling of people. Yes. Everybody is together by random chance, which why wouldn't this kind of completely unbelievable nonsense happen in such a yes. movie? Of course it would. Of but once would. Veronica Lake is hired to, um, is hired, she is then tapped to help out in a kind of in spy type situation. Yes, she's she's tapped to help out in a spy situation so there's there's a train it's the opening is in san francisco and there's a big train journey down to la and now this is where the this nightclub is where uh, you know she's set to she's been perform and, to perform and this is also where our 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 villains of the movie kind of are based um this i also think I mean, we often think of noir movies as being rather, you know, Eastern U.S. urban, New York, Chicago, this kind of situation, tall buildings. California noir is different. It hits different. Yeah. Even if it's San Francisco or L.A., but there's something obviously very un-skyscraper-ish about L.A. On skyscraper show. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no, you know, there's no dark alleys in LA. But there's a double indemnities, the perfect LA noir. <laughs> you know, there's there's very it's the it's almost the mentality of that place as a city that you know it's just full of manipulation because oh, Hollywood yes, yes. And, yeah. you know, deals, backhand deals and things like that. It's not in your face grimy like new york is, new york is no it's, it's very much grimy this, it's this lovely facade of of beautiful things with a it's very seedy dark underbelly <laughs> yeah think about it doubling them everything sunset, is fake you know everything is pretend everything is is um a mirage you know yeah california noir hits different yes it really does i didn't think about that but you're, you're totally right um Watch a movie Detour as well, tiny little movie, all about 65 minutes long, but just a, a, a venomous noir movie. That's kind of like a road trip one, but a lot of that is LA and it, it's really, it's, it's a, it's a, I want to say it's a disgusting movie, but that would put you off. <laughs> it's just the, the characters are just awful. Yeah. <laughs> awful people um but it's a it's a wonderful little movie anyway we're not talking about that um but california noir i think does hit different um but there's this train journey isn't there and this is where yes veronica lake is supposed to be scoping out a little bit and trying to find who may have been this murderer and oh, she happens to be sitting next to Alan Ladd on the train, not realizing it's Alan Ladd. And then they get on really well with each other. And then Alan Ladd, you know, tells her his situation. And then they end up on the run together. So Veronica Lake, while she was supposed to be tracking him down, ends up on the run with him. Yes. It's all over the place, this movie. You think it's all over the place, but you can't stop watching. But I think, this isn't is she also in part trying to um, look into the guy who hired her? Or, or yeah, because or, he's dodgy. Yes, so th they're also Everybody's kind of asking her to, to figure out like who hired him as well, I think was part of her whole 
um, yes. what they were asking her to do. Yes, because they, yeah, because is it like her original manager doesn't really trust Laird Krieger yes. as well? So it's like who hired him and what what is the whole motivation around things? Everybody's just asking each other in this movie without actually ever asking each other, "What do you want from me?" <laughs> Yeah. What's your motivation? <laughs> yes. We never really we, we never really find out why anybody. It's just all centered around this chemical formula that you know, Mr. Brewster, our skeleton man, wants to sell <laughs> to off. Sell. Yeah. So and... that's how yeah, she gets kind of entangled in it. Yes, and she ends up sitting next to him um and doesn't realize it and I keep forgetting his name, the, the guy who hired her. Um, or oh, his he, character's name. Oh, it's, it's yeah. Gates. His character's name. Yes. He actually is on the train as well, and he peeks and he sees yeah, her he sitting is. with him. So she has no idea who Alan Ladd is, but Gates sees them together and knows, oh, that, my gosh, she's with the man who I hired to kill these people, and oh, my gosh, she's must be, yeah, so, she must be with him. She must be in on this. She must be, you know... Uh, he thinks he's me, then like... double crossing her or yes. double crossing him while also seemingly double crossing her own fiance the policeman attached yes. to the case but, it's yes. so it's, it's much so confusion yes. in this movie so gate sees her with the the assassin he hired and assumes they're together but she has no idea who he is so now he's on edge because he thinks they're working together to to get at him because he's very nervous about this assassin getting to him uh so then um now he has a motive to try to kill veronica lake because he thinks yeah. So he like is trying to be very like, oh, just come to my uh, hotel and we'll have dinner. And, you know, and so she just thinks, oh, OK. And it's he's inviting her there to get information on how she knows uh, the assassin and then also to get rid of her because he thinks that she's trying to kill him along with the assassin. So it's this whole kind of mix up of uh you know relationships and who's with who and he's just very paranoid so yeah um, there's nothing wrong with having so many characters be so confused in a movie yes it's very I think jumbled it can... and us the audience knowing you know knowing the, that everybody what really confused. is yes and we're like so we have to watch very kind of on edge like are they going to figure this out but because so much goes kind of unspoken and so much is just what people think is going on with everybody else yeah. in this movie, it's so intriguing to watch. You know, I I think one of the most confusing movies of all time is The Big Sleep. It's also one of the best noir movies yeah. because nobody in that movie has a real clue of what's going on it's and what everybody happening. else is doing. And neither do you watching it. But my God, is it so great to try and figure it out. It's so wonderful to try and figure what everybody wants in that movie and, and what's actually going on. It's similar in this movie. It's similar. It's This, yeah. this is an earlier movie than The Big Sleep. Big Sleep's 1946. Again, still fairly early noir, really. And I mean, film noir as a term, as a recognised term, really was a came about in about 1946, 47. And it's obviously a critical term. It's a bunch of critics, French critics, which is why it's a French term, came up with a series of movies that seemed, seemed to fit a unique genre. And they came up with that kind of name as a as a genre the movies that came before which is why we consider movies like this formative yeah you know they're 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 dark movies they deal with dark subject matter they deal with very amoral people or yeah. immoral people they have morality to them a lot of them a lot of them do have their very kind of righteous element to them yeah that's not to say that they're not able to get to some really dark places and to 
creatively do that as well, because obviously we're dealing with strict strict Hayes code still in the in the forties, certainly. And you know, you've got to be careful. The big sleep is really about kind of trafficking. Yeah. Kind of. But you never know that because you're never really told. <laughs> yeah, no, we just kind of have to just pick up the clues that they're giving us and that's about it. Um, but yeah, and this movie kind of does similar things. Uh, but um, yeah, I like kind of the development of the relationship between Veronica Lake and Alan Ladd because even on the train, yes. like he he has stolen some money from her because he is now on the run. He has like a burn scar in his hand, which um, the woman who works at the boarding house that he had been staying in um like knows you know details about him so she gives the cop all these details so there's um uh you know there's a word out already for people to be looking for him it's in the newspaper yeah. and everything so um he's on the train with veronica lake he steals money from her she actually realizes notices that he's stolen money from her so she kind of calls him out and tells him to give it back and so he gives it back to her but then she still like offers him money because <laughs> she sees that he needs help so it's like give me my money back but oh do you really need help well here, here here's some money if you need it um so this already kind of sets in motion kind of just who she is as a person um and kind of contending with him and you know being seemingly this bad person um but her still like you know seeing something in him so then we kind yeah of, as an audience see something in him because she's she's a very kind of good person and not the femme vitale you know she's a very pure uh character yeah but i mean she even she's able to kind of put him in his place a little bit <laughs> yes so she does you know manage to kind of uh so then there is a point once they get off the train that he's kind of trying to hold her hostage she's able to get away um but then everything's kind of set in motion now that gates has seen her with him gates you know invites her to the hotel he kind of reveals um you know, he starts like going off about, you know, this assassin, how dare you? Da, 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 and you're out to get yeah. me. And he's like, he's like made up the story in his head of her place in the story. And she's just so he's confused. Like, she, she doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, he's also really panicking at this point as well. Yes. And he has this right hand man that he's hired to now come and kill her. And they're, and we hear this conversation they're having about, oh, okay, yeah, I'll take the body here. And he's like, I don't want to hear about it. Like, don't tell me what you're going to do. So we know what's going to happen yeah. to her. Um, but then Alan Ladd, he's going there to kill Gates, but he finds her there being held hostage and saves her. So that's how they kind of come back together again. Yeah. Uh, and so now he saved her. So, um, and she's kind of, I think, realized what's happened because he mentioned that he was kind of running from a guy who likes peppermint or, you know, um, something like that. So then when she, there, you know, has a, a moment with a Gates. Yes. So when she runs into Gates and he mentions something about Peppermint, then she realizes it's the same person. So now they kind of have this common enemy. And um, because he saved her, they're kind of like on the run together. So she kind of sticks with him. And um, we get a lot of great chemistry with the two of them and, and understanding there. And um, at a certain point, you feel like they're kind of, it, it turns from a, you know, uh, hostage captor kind of situation to a teamwork kind of yeah, situation. So. Yes, and so I think that's a really testament to their 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 performances and their chemistry. Um, and then it leads into a great scene where they're kind of hiding out, and he, you know, confesses some things to her. He gets very vulnerable vulnerable yeah. with her and tells her things about his past because he you know he feels like maybe he couldn't share that with anybody and he talks about how he was beaten and um that led to like the first person he killed which was his you know his aunt um his parents had died he was sent to live with his aunt who would beat him from he said like three years old to 14 until he couldn't take it anymore he ended up killing her and he gets very emotional and she you know she listens to him and he's like you know before he even tells her he's like oh you know if i tell you are you gonna laugh at me and she's just like no i'm not gonna laugh at you and she just listens to him and she kind of supports him in that moment and it's a really sweet thing and also to hear see this kind of very tough guy be so vulnerable and share those things like yeah. i feel like it's something i don't feel like i see very much in movies like this um 
certainly not of this character type. Yes. I think what I was talking about before, your your weak-willed men, your your Edward G. Robinsons in Woman in the Window and, and Scarlet Street are very, very obvious about their own, you know, backgrounds and why they've become the people they've become and similar type characters to that. But these hard-nosed characters, these hard-boiled characters, whether it's detectives or criminals, very rare you will get them opening up. When they do open up, it's effective. And it's what I think makes Alan Ladd in this movie. It's what essentially turned Alan Ladd into a star. But it's what makes Alan Ladd in this movie be so likable while being a criminal character. Yes. And I mean, it's also this weird kind of early addressing of like mental health issues because he talks about how he read something about kind of doctors um basically like talking about i think therapists and psychiatrists and like alluding to kind of reading about these types of doctors who you can like tell your problems to <laughs> like he alludes to you know yeah psychiatrists and, and therapy um and that's when he starts t talking to her, like, as a kind of a, a therapist situation. So I thought that was interesting as well. Um, it, it really is. There's a yeah. lot to love, an awful lot to love in this gunfire. I think it's, it's, a, it's a movie that, it's a movie that's very, very easy to appreciate. Not just, and like I said, not just because it is an early noir that would inform the i mean it's a very very good movie i think there's better noir movies out there because it's a very very good movie there's certainly like a lot of more formulaic a lot of more forgettable noir movies out there this yeah far from a forgettable movie this is a great great movie um but it, it you know it's not only there to be appreciated for what came after it it should be appreciated for its own freshness, its own uniqueness, yeah. which is even more impressive when you consider that it helped form a genre. Yes. The fact that, it's, that it has... feels fresh even within that genre. Yes, when it's a genre that is very full of specific tropes and specific archetypes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I love this relationship that develops between the two of them. And even though they are like extremely attractive people, you still aren't kind of focused on it being a romantic thing or looking for it to be a romantic thing. No. And it feels I mean, like a friendship. It does. It feels more like a friendship, more yes. like a appreciative coming together. And I think we've just kind of been desensitized in the fact that movies today really would play that up. That even though she has this fiance, that they would make it that she has this kind of, um, you know, feelings for him in this you know uh kind of uh romantic relationship developing even though they can't be together because she has a fiance and you feel like a, a movie today would play that up uh but this Janine, movie doesn't feel like in it or go that 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 route because you have these two attractive people like we we must kind of make that happen but this movie doesn't cheapen what's happening by doing something like that I feel like so many movies from around 1942, before, around this era, do that exact same thing as well. I think this is this is a pretty unique movie in how it depicts our our male and female lead and their relationship to one another. Yeah, and certainly for its genre, because you think of noirs all about sultry women that you know men can't get over and they end up becoming obsessed by and kiss kiss romance yeah but dangerous romance dangerous romance is the name of the game in noir movies and you don't get that here you don't get that but no. you do get all the double crossing you do get all the detective work all the criminal manipulation the the big figurehead bad in the background who is seemingly untouchable, but by the end of the movie, everybody's kind of in that room with Mr. Brewster, the skeleton man. It's all revealed. 
the I keep calling him the skeleton man as though it's housed on Haunted Hill. <laughs> yes, he's just a very old, decrepit old man. Yes. Um, I forgot what I was saying now because I brought up um, House on we, Haunted Hill. And by the end of <laughs> by the end of the film, everyone is converged in this they one are. room. And uh, Alan Ladd is kind of trapped there, and it's obviously a no way out type of situation for him. But he's able to kind of get his revenge on the people who backstabbed him, Gates and the old skeleton man. Um, But he's ultimately kind of surrounded because the cops now have converged there as well. Um, There is like a big chase right after kind of the moment he has with Veronica Lake where... um, she is going to help him. The cops have kind of like narrowed in on where they're hiding out and she decides to help him. She'll go out dressed in his coat and hat so that, you know, and distract the cops so that he can get away. So I like that she's like working and helping him out. It's really sweet because they shared this very human moment together. So she's now kind of really wanting to help him. And I love that, you know, because they shared that that moment, she uh, appeals to his humanity and kind of tells him, you know, please don't use that gun. Like, try you know do what you need to do but try please put that thing away like don't use that gun um so when she kind of runs out to distract the cops she like she gives him a very sweet kiss on the cheek which i thought was just very nice and he kind of has a moment of like smiling a little bit and thinking okay somebody wow there's somebody out there who actually kind of cares about me and it's such yeah. a sweet moment and then like he, is, he has a very He's a very closed off person. He's a very yes. hard person. He never we smiles. See just, no. And then that's even one of the descriptors that is given about him when he's on the run to the cops. He never smiles. Yeah. So the fact that she kisses him on the cheek and he kind of puts his hand to his cheek and smiles a little bit and, you know, feels like, wow, there's somebody out there who does maybe care about me. And, you know, then, you know, he's, he's holding his gun and he remembers her words, please try not to use the gun. And then he puts the gun away. So I love that, you know, she she mar she you know marked him with something good you know she left him with with this positive feeling um you know she she put her kind of mark of of, of care onto him so yeah. ultimately it's a kind of you know she does distract them he's able to kind of get away for a minute but then they catch up to him and he's running away and it's this whole kind of cool chase that happens he gets away on a train um that leads us to that big finale that we did mention of yeah. cops kind of following him to to gates and the old man and he kind of is able to you know exact his vengeance on them but ultimately the cops do he gets wrapped up in a shootout with the cops but he does get a final moment you know in his dying breaths to to talk to veronica lake and um they have a nice moment where you know and i suppose here <laughs> is a, a a typical and a, and a very formative moment is it's obviously very moral extending because not only does it kill off your big bad who was you know selling dangerous formulas to to people we don't want to be selling dangerous formulas to but it kills off your protagonist and it only kills off your protagonist because we've known for the entire movie that he was a criminal and we can't be having that no. We can't be having crime. No. Crime must pay in these yes. movies. Yes. Um, it's 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 nice when we don't get that in noir, and there's re- there's, there's occasions where you do actually get very shady people who we like winning the movie. You know, kind of coming out okay. Not yeah. dying, horrible death, but they're few and far between because most people die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Essentially, that's yeah. the name of the game. The dark movies, you know, they're about the pitfalls of humanity. They yes. are about the 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 worst within us, and I think that's why I like them because I, I don't like to view the worst in people, but I almost like to feel better about my own self. <laughs> Yeah, and just say, oh, well, at least I'm not these. Well, at least I'm not them. Yeah, you know, at, at least my, uh, you know, interpersonal relationships with people are not like this. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm okay, really. Aren't I? Maybe these maybe movies make me thing, feel better know. about me. <laughs> maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it's a selfish. That's thing. why you I like them. Yeah, <laughs> I don't really know. I just know. I love them so much. And it is, like I said at the very, very beginning, I think that convergence of 
it's the great things about old horror the the, the darkness the creepiness the shadowiness the, yeah. the creativity it's the romance that you get from your more typical romantic melodramas that that can be very very it's full of chemistry full of just lust and and glow and just real sweeping beauty sometimes um but with that dark element with more intrigue to it than a, than a simple romance because there's you know you shouldn't do it yeah so there's more there's more interest there there's more kind of ooh excitement there yeah <laughs> you know and it has it has its moralism to it, it but it isn't afraid to challenge that yeah. it's not afraid to challenge that and it's stylistic creativity that i spoke about before is is so unique of it as a genre and we should be celebrating movies like this gun for hire and like so so many other noir movies plenty of which we have covered on it's a wonderful podcast but certainly go There's room for more yeah there is go and seek out and check out 1942's This Gun for Hire, directed by Frank Tuttle, with Alan Land, Veronica Lake, Robert Preston. It is a wonderful, yeah, wonderful it's great. movie. It's great. I, really I did, it. I did have one interesting little bit of trivia to finish off that Ooh. I think you'll really find hilarious. Okay. Yes, this movie made Alan Ladd's basically made his career a really good little career. It was as well bunch of great movies from him but our lead here was almost deforest kelly what are yes. you serious yes <laughs> oh my god Which i find like, hilarious i kind of would have loved to see that i thought you were gonna say the original um crediting of the movie was gonna be alan ladd and woman <laughs> alan, no it wasn't alan ladd and woman <laughs> it wasn't um it was, however, based on a novel anyway, wasn't it? So, Graham Greene novel. Okay. Which is, it was actually a British novel, so it was transferred over to California for the movie. Oh. This gun for hire. But there we go. Janine, this is not the only show we have on the It's a Wonderful podcast feed. But this is our main show. This is where we celebrate old movies um we we show them love we discover new old movies like this one this was a first time watch yeah. janine had never even heard of alan lad before no. really. so this is very exciting full of discovery this is what we love to do most on it's a wonderful podcast but we do have morgan hasn't seen every wednesday where we are talking fighting movies all throughout march that's all very exciting and punchy punchy but we do have uh, monday madness as well every monday which is our chilled out show our topical show um where we always get into fun discussions on all the craziness that happens week to week over on monday madness monday wednesday friday we have you covered on the it's a wonderful podcast feed on anchor apple podcast spotify stitcher google podcast Castbox, amazon music and everywhere else we do have the it's a wonderful podcast youtube channel that you could subscribe and in the notification bells over there patreon and donation links we already spoke about before but you can also find the show on twitter at it's a wonderful one find me on twitter at the purple dawn with a three instead of the e in the because janine three is the magic number on instagram and tiktok at the purple dawn all your delightfully dark stuff is where Ooh, you can find me at Janine Debean underscore on Twitter, Janine Debean on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows, you can check the description for the link or just search It's Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com. And if you want to purchase any of my art and print form, you can find that at my big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com. There we go. That is going to do it. Yay. I, I, I say let's do more noir movies, but I never need an excuse to our um, um, <laughs> will. We'll likely do another one pretty soon, I would think. Yeah. But don't let them take over, Ginny. Don't let me allow noir movies to take over this show just because I watch them so often. <laughs> because they just really could. Because oh, I, I, every it's time so I watch, 
a movie, I was just like, oh, that would be interesting to do for the show. I mean, I do admittedly think, I know I've brought these movies up a number of times already today, but after having watched that one movie that I told you I watched last night. Yes. The Woman in the Window and Scarlet Street, we should do as a, as a double feature show because they're Ooh. very similar to each other okay. and it would, it would work really well as a double feature Ooh. okay I'm and they, they star three of the same people oh. edward g robinson joan bennett are our two leads in, in both movies and our kind of all well, one of our major supporting characters in, in both is dan durier who is a, is a great kind of a very unique actor kind of talks like hey how are you i want to go down to the store <laughs> he's very he's got this high pitch in scarlet street he refers to joan bennett constantly as hey lazy legs what <laughs> it's, it's, he's, he's interesting he's interesting but there we go janine i do think there is only one thing left to do not really any fun impression nah. i suppose do an impression of a skeleton man whatever <laughs> you might think that sounds like <laughs> Mm. Three, two, one. <laughs> that was a ghost, not a skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> Both dead. Both dead. <laughs>